The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Lung surgery is basically when a part of the lung is either repaired or removed. Some people who have been diagnosed with lung cancer may be offered lung surgery as treatment. Today I speak with Dr Chris Merry, a cardiothoracic surgeon at Fiona Stanley Hospital and St John of God Hospital in Subiaco, to learn more about lung surgery. And I promise you, after listening to this interview like me, I was amazed to learn from Dr Merry of how incredible our lungs are at adapting to having parts of them removed and still being able to breathe and function. What's actually involved with lung surgery? So most lung surgery nowadays is actually done for lung cancer, but in general, a lung surgery operation will involve a general anaesthetic, um, a breathing tube is placed into the airway, uh, and the, using that, the lung that's being operated on is collapsed, uh, and the other lung is, in, is kept inflated. The surgeon then makes an incision in the side of the chest, so halfway between the front and the back, uh, depending on the type of operation, and then the operation proceeds from there. And there's a wide range of different types of surgery that can be done. And of course, the incisions uh, and the length of stay and the pain and other treatments are very dependent on what the condition is and what the surgery is. Okay. And then what are the varying medical conditions that someone might need lung uh, lung surgery? So the commonest operation uh, that someone would need lung surgery for would be a lung cancer. uh, And that is usually, but not always, an early stage lung cancer. So someone that's got a small lung cancer, usually less than three or four centimetres in size, uh, and that's located well away from the main blood vessels uh, or the main breathing tubes uh, uh, around the chest. Uh, Usually also away from the chest wall as well, so not growing into the chest wall. And it's also for lung cancers that haven't spread outside of the chest. They would be the the cancer operations that we would consider. However, it's not uncommon that people develop fluid around the lung from varying conditions. That can be from infection or as a side effect of other cancers or from trauma. And that can also need surgery to be removed, the fluid to be removed. And then the third type of operation is done for patients that have a pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung. So that's Mm -hmm. caused by a blister on the outside of the lung bursting. And this is just something that happens accidentally or spontaneously, and the lung will collapse, which which leads to shortness of breath and pain, and that can also be fixed with lung surgery. And would that be something genetic or is that...? It often is genetic, but it can also be caused by cigarette smoking, which can lead to emphysema, and those changes can be reflected in the presence of blisters on the lung. And what types of lung cancer are treated successfully with surgery? So lung cancer usually falls into two groups. There's something that we call non-small cell lung cancer, and not surprisingly, the other one's called small cell lung cancer. Traditionally, lung cancer surgery is reserved for non-small cell lung cancer, and again, really for early stage lung cancer. So that means patients that have, have got lung cancer that is isolated to the lung, not in the lymph nodes uh, near the lung and not spread to anywhere else in the body. Once the cancer has spread, the benefit of surgery is pretty minimal compared to having chemotherapy or radiotherapy alone. 
in early stage lung cancer, so stage one or stage two cancer, then surgery has a significant benefit over chemotherapy and in some cases radiation therapy. So if you're having surgery, would you sometimes still need chemo? Sometimes we do, we do need chemo after surgery, and there's two um, groups that they, that people fall into in that category. There are some patients that have a very specific type of advanced lung cancer where we give them chemotherapy and radiation therapy before surgery, knowing that we will go ahead to surgery. And there's a second group of patients where we do the surgery and find, in fact, that the cancer was a bit more advanced than we suspected, and so those patients will go for chemotherapy after surgery. A lot of patients, however, will not need chemotherapy after surgery. Oh, that's good. Mm. And what are the varying types of lung cancer surgeries? Because when I when I did the Dr. Google, like we mm. all do, there seemed to be a long list. Is mm. there any main ones that you could explain for us? Yeah, so there's, you'll hear lots of different phrases thrown mm. around. The commonest type of lung cancer surgery is, a, is what we call a lobectomy. So the lungs are divided into lobes, a bit like the segments of an orange, if you mm. like, um, and we would usually take out the segment um, of lung that has the cancer in it, so the lobe, and that's um, about a half or a third of the lung tissue. However, for, for patients where taking out that much lung might be dangerous because of their breathing capacity, then we can do something else which is called a wedge resection. So as it implies, we just take a wedge of tissue like a slice of cake, um, or we can do something called a segmentectomy where we take a more um, a, a slightly bigger part of the lung but not as much as a lobectomy. And finally, the, um, the other type of lung cancer surgery that we very rarely do but does happen sometimes is called a pneumonectomy. And what that means is that's taking out the whole lung on one side. But that's usually reserved for very select cases because it's a very big operation, quite dangerous uh, in the sense that it has a high risk during the surgery and obviously only leaves you with one lung, which has its own problems going down the track. So we work very hard as a lung cancer team to avoid um, performing that operation, but sometimes that's what has to happen. It seems amazing that the human body, that you can actually take out parts of a lung and still breathe, still function. Yeah, it's quite spectacular. The, yeah. the, the body is very resilient um, and has a lot of excess, um, I was going to say excess baggage, it has a lot of redundant tissue, if you like, and I don't mean that in a negative way. There's a lot of redundancy built into the system. So you can actually lose, for most fit patients, they can actually lose an entire lung and still function reasonably well. So putting that into perspective, losing half or a third of one lung actually for most people doesn't affect their breathing capacity at all and they generally do very well after the surgery. That's amazing. And does it matter if you are a fit and healthy person and you know, life happens and you, you might have to have some lung surgery, but would your own health and well-being going into surgery really help to the success of your surgery? Yeah, I think with any operation, it's very important, you know, how healthy you are beforehand makes a big difference. So mm. um, certainly all the things that people can do to in, to improve their general health is very important. Whether or not you have a lung operation or any operation mm. coming up, we always encourage people to keep up with their diet, their exercise, maintain a general level of fitness because the better you are going into the operation, the easier it'll be to recover and the less likely you are to have complications. Clearly, the most important thing that anybody can do, whether it's lung surgery or otherwise, is to give up smoking if they're smokers or not take it up if they're non-smokers. Are there, sadly, though, people that have 
got lung cancer that haven't got a smoking background. Yeah, it is a problem with lung cancer today that um, there is still quite a stigma associated with it. So that people think that if you've smoked and you develop lung cancer, then that's you know bad luck. You should have known better. But unfortunately, um, for a start, that attitude is very unhelpful. And secondly, there are a number of patients that don't have any history of cigarette smoking because we know that there are two groups of patients that get lung cancer, those that have never smoked and those that have smoked. And unfortunately, the the non-smoking group tend to be younger patients and they tend to have a more aggressive form of the cancer. So how are they getting lung cancer? So it's presumably a genetic issue um, and there's been a lot of work that some of the other uh, specialists at St John's could tell you about Mm. that is involved in targeting the genetic markers that um, have produced these early stage lung cancers because these type of tumours in the early groups or the younger groups usually have very specific um, genetic components that are, that make them very suitable for other forms of treatment. Mm. And in terms of can you still get lung cancer from passively taking in your your smoke and So for Fortunately, now nowadays, we don't see that so much. Yes. I mean, passive smoking is almost a thing of the past, thank God, because of the um, the great work that's been done in, you know, in cigarette in prevention, smoking, smoking prevention, yeah. smoking um, uh, campaigns. campaigns. So we don't see people in that group anymore. You do still see people that have had a long, you know, people in their 70s, for example, that have had a long history of passive smoking exposure. But we're really seeing that less and less. And as a surgeon, are you concerned about the young people taking up vaping? So vaping has its own series of problems um, yes. and we're only just now really starting to see what the what those problems are. And there are cases um, worldwide of patients that have developed cancer from um, from vaping or other significant problems. We haven't seen that. Oh, I'm, I'm yet to see that in, 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 in our practice here um, and hopefully we won't. But mm-hmm. I think it's a real... Uh, it's a real problem that people need to be aware of that vaping is not a super safe activity and needs to be monitored as, as closely as smoking. Yeah. And how long does a lung surgery take? How long are you in there? So it's very variable. Um, so, for example, uh, last week I managed to do it. Actually, last week I managed to do a lung cancer operation that took me nearly four hours. Um, however, on a good day, um, the surgery will take two hours and sometimes even less because we're developing a very strong, minimally invasive program at St John's, um, the, what we call keyhole surgery or mm. VATS surgery. These operations tend to take a little bit longer because the access is obviously not uh, the same as with, an, with the old, older style open operations. Mm. A big open operation can take an hour. Uh, a VATS operation keyhole can take anywhere from two to five hours, really, if it's, if it's complicated. And is that the keyhole surgery then uh, reducing the amount of complications and making it a, a quicker recovery? So that's always the goal. Mm. We um, at St John's run a very um, very robust program in terms of getting patients through the surgery right from the start. So that whole program starts before the operation, uh, during the surgery, and then in the post-operative care period. The goal being that patients mobilise earlier, have less pain, have preserved lung function and are able to discharge sooner with removal of various drains and and other things before they go home. And that has helped to bring our length of stay down considerably, which is great, obviously, from a hospital point of view, but from a patient point of view, it's fantastic because driving um, can be recommenced within a couple of weeks. People are up and around and walking, and for those who are employed, back to work much earlier. And although all that sounds... um, that sounds nice in theory. It also provides much better long-term outcomes in terms of pain, uh, but just in terms of general function. Mm. Can lung cancer be cured by surgery? So we can never guarantee anything with surgery. Um, In early stage cancer, so stage one cancer, we would say that 
our five-year survival, which is how we measure mm. lung cancer survival or any cancer survival, the five-year survival for an early-stage lung cancer like a stage one would be somewhere in the region of 80 to 90%. So as far as most people are concerned, or as far as most oncologists and surgeons are concerned, that's a cure rate, or and, that is a cure, I should and say. And very successful. And very successful, yeah. Obviously, the later the stage, or the, the more advanced the stage of, of um, malignancy, the less likely that, that outcome is. But in the early stages, the results are excellent, which is why surgery still has a very strong role to play in lung cancer management. And can our lungs actually regenerate? So the lung tissue doesn't regrow, but what we have found is that the lung that is there, um, the remaining lung sort of takes over the work that the removed lung was doing. So in the liver, for example, we know the liver can actually regrow. Um, lung tissue doesn't, you don't get new lung forming, but what we know is that the uh, lung that remains sort of expands and becomes bigger um, on its own and opens up better so that it takes over the work of the old lung. So when you do lung function tests to measure people's breathing capacity after surgery or a year after surgery, you find that even with having had a third of the lung removed, the lung function tests are very similar. Wow, the human body is amazing. Spectacular. <laughs> and then what are some things that people, you know, when they come in to see you that they're shocked to learn about lung cancer surgery or surgery? So the thing that most people are shocked about is how we get the lung, how we can do the operation through such small cuts. So the lung cancer mini-invasive or VATS approach is about a three-centimetre incision, which is pretty tiny compared to the old-style shark bites that people might have seen um, patients having. Um, so that's one thing that people are how very surprised that, about. How's that made possible? Brilliance. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> no, the, the technology has changed a lot. So the, the quality of the instruments and the quality of the um, cameras and the, just the way we do things has, has really improved. Um, plus people have, uh, overseas and, and locally have developed techniques that have just made it a lot a lot more acceptable and a lot easier to do. Um, and I think also we're getting um, a lot more patients that are fitter um, because people don't smoke so much. We get more early stage cancers because we're getting we're seeing a lot more early stage cancers through people having incidental CAT scans for things like trauma, chest pain, cough or heart disease. And so we find a lot of patients we're seeing who had no symptoms of cancer and maybe 10 years ago would never have been picked up, but are getting picked up by chance, uh, which means that we're getting these younger, fitter patients to to do. I think also that um, the other thing that surprises people is, again, that issue about what happens to the lung space when you take out the lung. And people are often surprised to see that when they look at the x-rays that are done, say, four weeks after the operation, that you can barely tell that any lung has been removed. So you've everyone seen a chest x-ray with mm. the, the sort of the two butterfly Looks wings like on each side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you imagine the top half of the butterfly wing being removed, you would expect that when you saw that on an x-ray four weeks later, there would be a blank space there. But in fact, what you see is that the whole thing looks almost identical to the preoperative film. So people are very surprised about that. Mm. And the biggest concern people have, I think, really, or the two biggest concerns really are, are how painful is it going to be yeah. um, and how will their breathing be affected. So in general, your respiratory physician or oncologist would not send you to see a surgeon if there was any concern about your breathing being affected. Um, we wouldn't operate on someone where we were worried that their breathing would be compromised by surgery because clearly there's no point in removing the lung cancer if you can't get out of bed because you can't breathe. So that's nothing to be concerned about. Um, in terms of pain, the with the keyhole approach and even with the open approach, we manage pain control so well now um, and so differently to even 10 years ago with different medications and different techniques that the pain is quite is quite minimal. 
Obviously, that's not the case for every single person that has surgery. There is still a risk of what we call chronic pain syndrome after even keyhole surgery, which is somewhere about five in 100 patients will have that problem. Um, and that will be pain or discomfort that lasts three months and sometimes even longer. But for 95% of patients or 95 out of 100 patients, they will be well, returning to work, driving and getting on with life within sort of four to six weeks after the operation. And what have you seen that, you know, the changes in lung cancer surgery over the years, What's where do you think it's leading? So the biggest change that I've seen has been the move, the, the absolute move from uh, – the big, what we call the thoracotomy or big open operations um, with metal retractors that spread the ribs and everyone putting their hands in and sort of um, taking the cancers out that way through to very small incisions, no pressure being placed on the ribs during the surgery, using obviously the video cameras and, and the long instruments to get the tumours out. And I think that the, um, the future of that surgery will be to head more and more towards that that way. St. John's in Subiaco and in Murdoch are looking at developing robotic thoracic surgery programs, which I'm very happy to be involved in, as well as at Fiona Stanley. Um, and I think that's potentially going to be the next level of, um, of treatment. I think um, the other issue will be, or the other area of development will be more, will be less um, less lung removal, so taking out smaller portions of lung and getting similar results because we'll be able to combine radiation, chemotherapy and surgery to really give us the best um, approach for each patient. Perhaps explain with a case study of how quickly people might be able to recover and get back to work and, and maybe resume exercise or... So it is very variable from case to case. I think with a straightforward, uh, minimally invasive um lung cancer operation, we see people having excellent results at, at two weeks, really. People will come back in, they will have driven in to see me at two weeks, um, they'll be ready to go back to work, uh, regardless of age, uh, quite dependent on preoperative health and also really preoperative and, and post-operative attitude as well. Some people um, seem to recover very well from the anaesthetic, so I think that's a very important part of it. For some people, even a minor anaesthetic uh, is enough to knock them around for 48 hours or 72 hours. Other people, they seem to shrug it off a lot better, and I think that has a big part to play in how well people go. But um, for a lot of patients, they will be, um, they'll be doing very well at that two-week mark. And what about exercise? Is it assumed that, oh, you know, they wouldn't be able to do exercise? Well, the great thing about lung surgery... Um, is that because of the ribs being in the position that they are, they really hold the wound nicely together. So the reason not to exercise is obviously partly because of um, discomfort or pain and also partly because of worries about how that will affect the wound. But with the ribs being as they are, they really splint the wound closed. So it's very difficult for patients to injure the wound or damage the wound. It's different to an abdominal operation where if you you know put too much strain in your stomach muscles, you can split the wound apart because of because of the way it's um it's done. With the rib surgery or the lung surgery, it's very difficult to cause wound problems. So for most people, it's really just about overcoming that discomfort and and getting things moving. And that's why we say sort of two weeks is a good time to to take it easy. Go go for walks, uh, not do too much, but then from that two-week point, start getting moving again. And a lot of people would go to exercise rehab, you know, people that specialise in, people that have got chronic conditions and, and get some good advice from them before going and 
saying, oh, I think I'm going to uh, do the uh, Perth Marathon next year or anything no radical like to, that. No reason not to do the Perth Marathon <laughs> except for the heat. The um, the Look, I mean, we work closely with physiotherapists so um, at St John's and they have a very good post-operative program worked out. Um, and look, a lot of it does come down to how the individual is going. Um, but I'm certainly not averse to people doing anything really. We, we tend, because of the way we do it, we tend not to have damaged any of the muscles around the back and the shoulder. So there's no sort of need for people to protect those areas. And if anything, it's better to keep to keep moving. And mindset's really important. You were saying before, attitude. Absolutely. I think attitude is really important. I think um, it's it's worth noting that it's um, right to be anxious. Um, it's right to be scared and 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 worried because it is. A, it's still a big operation, and it's and in most cases it's a lung cancer operation that we're talking about. So that's something to to you know obviously be take seriously. But it's also very important to to put things in perspective and to keep an open mind and to be really positive about moving forward because that's how um you know that's how people get better. Yeah, and how can people actually improve their own success after surgery? So I think the main thing is to um, is for people to really, well, obviously not smoke. That's probably the worst thing you can do. But also I think to follow the instructions that they're given by their by the experts, by the physios, the nursing staff, their surgeon, GPs, um, oncologists, um, to really focus hard on getting some light exercise done every day. I'm not, you know, an exercise fanatic about it, but I do want people to be up and moving every day rather than sort of lying on the couch um, for seven or 12 hours a day. If you're in that position uh, after lung surgery, then you, something's gone wrong and you need to get out of that. And it may not be your fault. It might be that there's something actually wrong with what's happened with the surgery, but that's not a normal place to be. So I would like people to be up and exercising, walking half an hour a day, even if you have to go for five, six minute walks, that's completely fine as long as you're up and moving. And doing that every day, that's the kind of thing that gets you going. Getting outside, getting some fresh air, it's good for you physically, but it's great for you mentally too. Seeing the sun, great for you mentally. And sort of out of all your career, is there one case that you sort of think about often think so rewarding in what I do for, for a job? There's so many. There'd be so uh, many. Yeah, there's so many. Um, there's so many cases where um, you've taken someone who has really, um, you know, really been uh, – the case I like the most, I guess, are people that come in um, terrified or, or, you know, really, really stressed about the fact they've got lung cancer and to be able to um, get the cancer out, show that there's no spread anywhere and have that person basically be essentially cured of their lung cancer, um, that's, the really, the, that's really a great outcome for me. Um, and to see someone go from, um, from there and – feeling like their life had sort of finished to then being able to sort of go back to work. I had an 82-year-old woman who had um, lung cancer and she sort of felt that that was the end of the road, wasn't sure whether she would even want the surgery. Um, We did the operation and she came to see me three weeks after the operation and she was just about to go back the next week and start teaching ballet again. So, I mean, that's a great outcome because it's not just about you know, getting rid of cancer or helping people to live longer. It's about helping people to live well and to have a good life. And a quality of life. Exactly. And and what it also shows is years ago, people that perhaps were 70 or 80 years of age might not have been able to have that as an option. Exactly. And I think the other thing that's really important to remember, particularly for people that have just had a diagnosis of lung cancer that haven't, who are in the early stages of working through the illness, is that a lot of people in the community's experience with lung cancer is even is 
of advanced lung cancer. And so you'll, anyone who gets a lung cancer diagnosis will have already heard stories of, oh, you know, Ernie got lung cancer and he was dead in three months. For a lot of patients now, because of the way we're picking up cancer, that's not the case. And so patients that come to surgery, they're never in that boat. They're always in a boat where there's a good opportunity to treat and act fast and to get a really great result. So I think patients should be very careful before they listen to other people's own experiences or things that people have heard on the grapevine about what lung cancer is, because it's very different now to what it was 10 years ago. And I think sometimes we can get, uh, as you say, just surround yourself with good people and Mm. perhaps more Mm. positive, optimistic stories, because that's going to get you through the journey. Exactly, exactly. And so in closing, what are some maybe some takeaway messages, some key ones that people should know about lung cancer or lung cancer surgery? Well, I think a couple of things are, first of all, you know, don't feel ashamed if you think if you've got lung cancer. I know there's a big issue in the in the community with stigma around, well, you smoked, you've got lung cancer. So don't feel ashamed if you've got lung cancer. A lot of patients get it without smoking. A lot of patients get it who have smoked um, and a lot of people have smoked and don't get lung cancer. So there's nothing to feel ashamed about. Secondly, I think it's with any medical condition, you've got to ask questions. I know it's hard and it can be very easy when you go to see a doctor um, who you just sit and listen to and they tell you everything and you don't come away feeling that you've been involved enough in the discussion. And that can happen. So it's very important to ask questions. My advice would be if you've got questions, write them down before you go in and see the doctor and give them to the doctor or read them out to the doctor so they can answer the questions. And if you come away from an appointment feeling that you haven't had your questions answered or there are more things that you wanted to ask, then write them down again and ring up the doctor's office or email the doctor with the with the questions that you didn't get answered because we're happy to help. We're happy to answer questions, but we can't answer them if we don't know what they are. And then thirdly, I guess, don't panic, okay? it's It sounds often as though it's the end of the world. Um, It's not always the case. There's always hope and uh, we have much better treatment options, much better treatment strategies now than we ever had before and and they're only continuing to improve. And there's so many patients out there that they might not know of the really positive stories out there that they need to ask people about. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. A big thank you to Dr. Mary for sharing his knowledge with us today on Meditalk. And to learn more about Dr. Mary, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.